0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. If you have a Bible, grab it and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, We are continuing in our series called The Way We are learning to practice the way of Jesus and this is a series that we're going to revisit two or three times a year Um, And the the burden behind this is simply that uh, following Jesus is not limited to a Sunday event like this But it's a way of life that's meant to be practiced And we believe that if, if we're going to experience the life of Jesus, we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus And so what we're doing is combing through scripture and we're taking various practices that we see Jesus embodying and then we are preaching on those, teaching on those, and building practice guides and working it out in the context of missional communities, so that we can actually practice the way of Jesus together so that more and more people in our city and our region can experience his life and his presence. And so um, the last few weeks we've taken the practice of prayer and we're just unpacking that. What does it look like to practice prayer in your life. And so uh, continuing with that this morning, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, Let's start in verse 16. We're going to read through verse 18. Uh, This is just one short little sentence, but there's enough here, I think, for us to chew on for the rest of our lives. And so uh, start in verse 16, 1 Thessalonians uh, 5. Paul says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And this is the word of the Lord. Uh, thanks be to God. Let's pray together one more time. Um, well, Father, I'm, I'm aware that um, for, for many or maybe for most in the room, this is uh, probably the first time all week that we've just been still. And, um, and you've brought us into this place not to be entertained or, or whatever, but... Um, to encounter you, to encounter the real Jesus. And so I pray that you would make yourself non-ignorable to us. I pray that we would not be able to uh, avoid you uh, anymore. I pray that you would um, get at our hearts this morning. I'm I'm mindful of, of David in Psalm 42 that our souls are just thirsty for you, God. And I pray that you would forgive me for trying to satisfy and quench that thirst with illegitimate wells, things that just flat out can't hold water. And um, where we're doing that, I pray that you would lead us to Jesus, the living water this morning, to be satisfied uh, with him. I pray that you would open hearts to believe the gospel. Um, I pray this morning that for, for many, it would be maybe the first time they've ever trusted in Christ. I pray that you would open our eyes to see him and savor his beauty, open our ears to hear his voice. And I pray all these things in his name and for his glory and for our joy. Amen. Well, if you're in my missional community or you've ever been to my house or you serve in fellowship kids, then you know exactly what I mean when I say that my middle child, Susanna Jane, is crazy busy. Uh, The girl has... My missional community is laughing. uh, The the girl has one speed. Listen, from the time she wakes up to the time she goes to bed, it's 100 miles an hour. She's like Ricky Bobby. She just wants to go fast. Like, that's, that's all she knows. Like, if I'm pushing her in the swing... She doesn't say, Dad, push me high. She says, Dad, I want to go fast, like push me fast. And so we call her Hurricane Jane, among many other things, because that dude just rips and roars through life. That's that's her. And so because of that, uh, you know, Carrie and I are having to always say to her, hey, slow down, don't sprint in the house, you're going to injure yourself again, which inevitably almost always happens. Case in point, um, a few weeks ago I was working alongside Jared and Darius, in the office, and, uh, and, and I get a phone call, and on the other end of that call, I hear my wife say to me in an extremely calm, almost inhuman tone, she said, um, Susanna was running and jumping on the couch, she hit her head on the coffee table, she has a massive hole in her head, she's bleeding all over the place, I need you to come home right now, do you understand me? And so, <laughs> 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 yes ma'am, I do understand you, so... I rushed home, I threw my family in the car, we went to the ER, turns out she's fine. Apparently it's just a common hole-in-the-head type situation. <laughs> um, and so they glued her head back together, and four days later she went trigger treating a zombie Elsa. Uh, there she is, Susanna Jane. And if you think, this is after it was glued together, you see like the dried blood on her clothes, if you think that this incident has slowed her down, you'd be wrong. Um, because this weekend, I, uh, I had the privilege of keeping her by myself, and she now has a big bruise on her face where she ran into a wall because she wasn't paying attention, and I wasn't either. So that's another story. Um, but she, this, something tells me that this will not be the last time that Susanna Jane injures herself because she's just in a hurry. And the reason I share that story with you is because God is using my relationship with Susanna to teach me some things about myself in that I feel like he's given her to me um, as a perfect little physical illustration of a deep spiritual problem that plagues my life, that's plaguing most of your lives, and that's certainly plaguing our culture at large. And the problem is this, in general, we are so crazy busy and in such a hurry all the time that we are doing violence to our souls. And the sad thing is most of us don't even realize it, don't even realize it. Uh, if you're anything like me, my guess is you feel it, though. So how many of you in this room came into this room this morning feeling tired? Feeling exhausted? Feeling anxious? Or am I the only one? No. Okay. All right. Feeling, uh, maybe you feel like you're drowning. Maybe you feel like you're being pulled in a thousand directions. Uh, one writer describes it like this. He says it feels like we're being swallowed up in a blizzard. And I'm going to give you his quote. He says this. He says, many of us have lost our way spiritually in the out of the blizzard uh, swirling around us. Blizzards begin when we say yes to too many things. Between demands from work and family, our lives fall somewhere between full and overflowing. We multitask, so much so that we are unaware uh, that we are doing three things at once. At the same time, many of us are overscheduled, tense, addicted to hurry, frantic, preoccupied, fatigued, and starving for time. Cramming as much as possible into our blackberries and palm piles. is a little outdated. Um, And day planners and to-do lists. We battle life uh, to make the best use of every spare minute we have. But we can't stop. And if we aren't busy, we feel guilty that we waste time and are not productive. We go through the motions of doing so many things as if there is no alternative way of spending our days. It's like being addicted. Only it's not to drugs or alcohol, but to tasks, to work, to doing. Any sense of rhythm in our daily, weekly, and yearly lives has been swallowed up in the blizzard of our lives. No wonder why so many of us are disoriented and anxious. Raise your hand if this resonates with you. Most of you. Okay, the rest of you are not telling the truth. (laughs) Um, Listen, man, ask anybody in Paragold, Arkansas, how they're doing, and nine times out of ten, what are they going to say? Well, oh, busy is what they're going to say. Maybe fine, but most of them are going to say busy. I don't think I've ever asked anybody in our culture, how are you doing? And they responded to that question by saying, well, for starters, I'm not very busy. I've just got lots of time. We're just busy, man, and crazy busy. And I think my fear and our, our concern as pastors is that we're so crazy busy and in such a hurry that we don't realize the damage this is doing to our souls, not, not even to mention the damage it's doing to your body, to your emotions, to your relationships, but we are crazy busy, and I'm well acquainted with this. Um, this all caught up with me about two years ago. So I spent 10 years in Kansas City running really, really hard trying to prove myself. Beneath my busyness was this belief that God's not in control or he's not good enough, and so I've got to prove myself. I've got to, I can't stop. Because if I stop, this isn't going to get done, and it all depends on me. So I just went, man, like Went. Um, you know, working 70 hours a week in grad school, raising kids, doing all the kids' activities stuff, emailing and texting while I'm driving, on my phone all the time. If I've got any downtime space, I'm checking out on social media. And, guys, two years ago, I hit a wall. Like, I thought I was going to die. I literally came up from my study one night, and I told my wife, I said, I'm going to have a heart attack before 40 if something doesn't change. And thankfully, the elders on my team loved me enough um, just like the elders we have here, and they said they put some things in place in my life to force me to stop and to slow down before I destroyed my life. Um, it's been said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy, uh, because a life of hurry and busyness functionally has the same effect as sin. In that, what it does is it just cuts you off from a relationship with God. Guys, I'm a pastor. And to this day, I can easily go throughout my day so busy that I have almost zero awareness that God even exists. Busyness, just like sin, functionally cuts you off from relationship with God. And this is why, in a series on prayer, this is why, Paul Miller says, it's one of the primary reasons why we don't pray. We don't pray. Um, we don't slow down long enough to be with God. And so here's what Paul Miller says in his book, of Praying Life. He says, American culture is probably the hardest place in the world to learn to pray. We're so busy that when we slow down to pray, we find it uncomfortable. We prize accomplishments, production, but prayer is nothing but talking to God. It feels useless, as if we're wasting time. Every bone in our bodies screams, Get to work. And when we aren't working, we're used to being entertained. Television, the internet, video games, and cell phones make free time as busy as work time. And when we do slow down we slip into a stupor. As this is so true of me, exhausted by the pace of life we veg out in front of a screen or with earplugs. We dull our souls with the narcotic of activity. Our culture tells us that we can do life without God, that money can do what prayer does and it's quicker and less time consuming. Our trust in ourselves and in our talents makes us structurally independent of God. As a result, exhortations to pray don't stick. Guys, because this is true, and and listen, things only get busier around the holidays, right? Here we are. You ready for busy? It's about to get crazy. Because this is true, the question I want us to wrestle with this morning is in a culture that's addicted to busyness and hurry and distraction, how do we not forfeit our souls? How do we instead learn how to slow down and cultivate a life of prayer And communion with God. And that's the question Paul's helping us answer in our passage this morning. So in 1 Thessalonians 5, let's just look at it together and let's try to answer that question. Look back there with me. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16, Paul says this. Okay? Here we go. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I would underline or circle or highlight that last sentence, if I were you. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How many of you in this room this morning would say that you would love to know God's will for your life? Maybe some of you in this room, you're not sure where you're at with God. You're exploring God. I I love that. If if you're here, this is a safe place for you. In fact, you can belong before you believe. But let's just assume for a second that God is real. He created you. Wouldn't you like to know what His will is for your life? For Christians especially, man, we're always asking this question, what's God's will for my life? And we usually think about this in terms of the big life decisions, right? So is it God's will for me to marry this person? Is it God's will for me to take that job, to go back to school, to buy this house, to move to that city, to date this girl? Like, what's God's will for my life? And Paul says it's actually a whole lot simpler and in some sense more complex than that because at the end of the day, Paul says... God's will for your life and for mine is that you would pray all the time. <laughs> That's easy in a culture of hurry and distraction, right? That you would pray. You want to know God's will for your life? It's, it's right here for us in front of us in black and white. God's will is that you would exist in a state of joyful, grateful prayer. Which, by the way, makes those big life decisions easier when they do come. That you would exist in a state of joyful, grateful prayer. He says God's will is that you would rejoice always, that you would carry this posture with you of enjoying God all the time. At the end of the sentence, he says God's will for you is that you would be thankful in every circumstance, that you would carry this posture of ongoing thanksgiving to God, not just this Thursday on Thanksgiving, but throughout all of life. And then right in the heart of that, he really sums it all up. And he says, God's will for your life is that you would pray without ceasing. You know what without ceasing means in the Greek? Without ceasing. <laughs> it means you never stop. There's, there's a lot of different ways to translate this. I love uh, New Living Translation. says it like this, always be joyful, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. This is God's will for you who belong in Christ Jesus. Eugene Peterson's The Message says it like this. Be cheerful no matter what and pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you to belong to Christ Jesus to live. Guys, however you word it, the idea Paul's getting at is crystal clear. You want to know God's will for your life this morning, right now? God's will for you is that your whole life, your whole state of existence would be one of constant, unceasing prayer with joy and thanksgiving to God. And by this point, I know what you're thinking. At least if you're anything like me, you're thinking, kind of scoffing at this and going, how is this even possible? Like, Is Paul saying that I need to abandon my family and my responsibilities and quit my job and you know, burn my iPhone and join a monastery and spend 24 hours a day on my knees praying. No, that's not what he's saying. Except burn your phone, he might actually tell you to do that. I'm not sure, um, but that's not what he's saying. Listen, for Paul, what he's saying when he says, "Listen, I want you to," you know, God's will for you is that you would spend your life in prayer. He's saying that that God's will for you is that you would learn to live your whole life in relationship and communion with God. so It helps us if we have a proper understanding of prayer, if we're all on the same page with Paul, which he's assuming we are. So let's get there. Um, for the biblical writers, prayer is, is not just something you do for God. It's actually a way of being with God. Prayer is all about relationship. It's a posture of relationship with God. Prayer is a whole life orientation with uh, towards god it's 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 giving your whole self to him it's it's learning to move throughout your day throughout your week throughout your months your years your life in relationship in connection in communion with god this is god's will for your life it's what you were made for and hey if you're a christian this is what you were saved for We talk at fellowship about how, you know, to be a disciple of Jesus is to orient your life around three goals. Goal number one, to be with Jesus. Goal number two, to become like Jesus. Goal number three, to do what Jesus did. But the first and foundational goal that makes all those other goals possible is being with Jesus. You want to know what Paul means when he says God's will for you is that you would pray all the time, joyful, grateful prayer. That would be the state of your existence is that you would learn to be with Jesus all the time, all the time that you would learn to be with Jesus, that you would learn to move throughout your life, being constantly connected to and aware of his presence. Um, this past Friday night, uh, my, my wife took uh, Lucy, our oldest daughter, to Conway to my niece's birthday party and ditched me with the other two, uh, one of whom is Susanna Jane. So my wife just looked at me on the way out the door and said, good luck. Uh, and she, and she left and I'm like, how do you, how can you do this? And so she left. And so I thought I was going to play super dad and take them to McDonald's by myself Friday night. And so, um, we went to McDonald's and, uh, you know, we're in the play area playing and it's kind of taken a while for our food. And so on two different occasions, I, you know, step out of the play area and I have to go check on our food, but I never take my eyes off my kids, right? I'm, I'm trying to be a good dad. So I'm watching my kids the whole time I'm checking on the thing, you know, food, and I'm watching them. And I start to notice something fascinating. When I leave the room, somehow they notice. (laughs) They just they know they know my presence. They they know when I'm not there. And then when I come back in the room, guess what? They they recognize my presence. They know when I'm there. And then this is something fascinating. You want a case study? Start paying attention to this. When next time you're at Chick-fil-A, at the park, at Burger King. Well, just notice this about your kids, okay? While I'm over here eating and doing whatever, and they're off playing and in their own imaginations and all this kind of stuff, every now and then they'll just gravitate over to, to you and they'll just kind of stop what they're doing and come back and just reconnect with you and recheck in with you and reattach to you. And if you notice what kids do, man, they just naturally, by nature, they move throughout their life in this state of constant awareness of your presence. They're always attached to you on a conscious level. They know you. And when you're not around, they look for you. Moms and I mean, stay at home moms are like, yeah, I can't even go to the bathroom. Like I, I get it. Like I go to the bathroom and they come looking for me and they come in there and they're just always attached at the hip, right? Guys, why do you think Jesus teaches us to pray like a child? When he says, pray like this, our father, and he says, pray like a child, ask, seek, knock. How does a kid ask for things? can we, will you swing me, will you swing me, will you swing me, will you swing me? It's like, ah, no. So like, yeah, Jesus says, look, this, this is, my point is simple, man. This is the life God is inviting you into. This is the heart of the gospel. This is what it's all about, to, to learn to be with Jesus, to learn to stay consciously connected to him and aware of his presence all day, all the time. This is God's will for your life. Again, this doesn't mean you have to hole up in the woods, right? Or join a monastery. At the end of the day, this comes down to learning to be in two places at once. We've talked about this from this stage before. It's, it's, it, it's worth repeating. This comes down to learning how to be in two places at once. Okay? Learning how to eat your breakfast and be in the presence of God. Drop your kids off at school and in the presence of God. On your drive to work and in the presence of God. Changing a diaper and in the presence of God. Going to your kids' soccer game and in the presence of God. Walking your dog and in the presence of God, in the midst of the chaos of your family on Thanksgiving, and in the presence of God. If you're a teenager, it's going to school and being in the presence of God. It's being in the halls and with your friends and going to practice and studying and and doing your homework in the presence of God. It's learning to be in two places at once. This is God's will for your life. This is unceasing prayer. It's relationship with Jesus. Um, there's a lot of different ways to describe that life. Paul here calls it prayer without ceasing. In Galatians, he calls it walking in the spirit. Jesus calls it abiding. In John chapter 15, in the 17th century, Brother Lawrence called it the practice of the presence of God. And if you're, I'm going to read this to you, this quote, if you're from, if you're unfamiliar with Brother Lawrence, um, he was a 17th century monk who lived in Paris. And uh, just, a, listen, man, just a, like a blue collar, like, before he uh, met Jesus, he was a soldier, and he fought on the front lines. And, and then uh, when he met Jesus, he ended up joining a monastery, not as a monk or a priest, but as a dishwasher. He washed dishes and he, he he devoted his whole life to learning how to abide in Jesus and to exist in a state of prayer. And um, And he became famous for this and people all over Europe would write him letters and he would write back. And at the end of his, when he, after his death, his letters were published in a book that you can purchase on Amazon. It's cheap. I highly recommend it. And here's a quote from Brother Lawrence. Here's what he says. He says, the time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. In other words, I don't like have my church life and my work life or the sacred secular divide, but like I'm I'm praying all the time, right? So the time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, stay-at-home moms again, feel Brother Lawrence's pain, right? In the kitchen with kids around both legs and a husband asking, "Where's the dinner?" And all of like, in the midst of all of that, he says, "I possess God in His great tranquility, as if I were upon my knees before His very presence." In the rush hour before dinner, when I've got thirty grouchy monks at the door, going, "Where's my dinner?" I'm at peace. He says, in the noise and the, the, the rush, and the activity, and the busyness, and the chaos of my joy in my life. I'm at peace because I possess God. I'm indwelled by and surrounded by the presence of God. This is the secret to having great tranquility or peace in all of your life. It's, it's, it's what Isaiah is getting at when he says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I don't know about you guys, but I come into the room exhausted, carrying anxiety and stress, and I long for this kind of relationship with Jesus. And I long for this kind of tranquility or this kind of peace to mark my life. And I long to have my mind, as Isaiah says, stayed on Jesus rather than hijacked by my phone or hijacked by my to-do list or the, the, the pressure that I put on myself to perform. I, I, I long for this kind of life. But here's the secret, okay? Here's the deal. Here's the deal, and this is what's huge. Brother Lawrence calls this, notice, the practice of the presence of God. Practice. Guys, living in a constant state of prayer and learning to be with Jesus and be in two places at once is not gonna happen overnight. You cannot microwave this. It starts and is sustained by repentance, and then it's continued and fleshed out. In practice. And it takes a lifetime of practice. And so I think the last question we have to ask is, on a practical level, how do we do this? How do we do this? Um, How do we learn to pray without ceasing and practice the presence of God in a culture that's addicted to busyness and distraction? How do we do this? And one of the best ways we learn to do this is through an ancient practice from the life of Jesus, known as fixed hour prayer. I'll put a definition of it on the screen for you. Fixed hour prayer is simply a rhythm of stopping throughout your day at appointed times to be with and enjoy the presence of God. Listen, it's a way of structuring and arranging your whole day around abiding in Jesus. And and you'll never experience the life of Jesus until you adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. This is how Jesus arranged his day, around abiding with the Father. You know what's fascinating? There's there's 86,400 seconds in every day. 86,400 seconds in every day. And as a disciple of Jesus, your goal when you wake up in the morning is to arrange your, your schedule, arrange your day in such a way that you can spend as many of those seconds as you possibly can consciously connected to and aware of The presence of Jesus. And scripture teaches us that one of the best ways to do that is through a practice called fixed hour prayer. Again, it's, it's stopping throughout your day. Okay. Not just once, as you kind of think about with a traditional quiet time, but two, three, maybe four times, listen, whatever your schedule permits for two minutes, for five minutes, for an hour, like whatever. So that the rest of your day, when you're active and doing work, you're remembering Jesus. You're abiding in his presence. This is how you learn to be in two places at once. Um, you see God's people throughout the scriptures for centuries before Jesus doing this, practicing this. And so let me, let me show you some examples. Psalm 92, the psalmist says, it's good for me to stop and give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love. Look, at two appointed times, in the morning, and then to declare your faithfulness by night. In this dude's schedule, he's got two scheduled stops at least, two appointed times, in the evening and the morning, he's going to stop and reset his heart and his mind on God. Psalm 119, 164, the psalmist says, seven times a day I stop and I praise you for your righteous rules. There were at least seven times... In this guy's schedule, when he would intentionally stop and talk with God, he sounds a lot more like me. I need a lot of reset buttons throughout the day. I have a morning quiet time, and then by like 8 a.m., I'm furious at the world again. So, like, I need a lot of reset buttons, and apparently so did this guy. Um, the most common way to do this, though, is three times a day, morning, noon, and night. And this is the typical rhythm in, in Jesus' day, uh, so Psalm fifty-five, seventeen, David says, evening and morning and noon, I stop and I utter my complaint and I moan, and God hears my voice. You see in Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 10, Jesus' disciples continued with this rhythm, which means that since they're imitating Jesus, who also grew up in a Jewish world, this was most likely his rhythm. This is how Jesus would have arranged his schedule to stop. We certainly see him slipping away at appointed times to stop and talk to and listen to and be with his father. Guys, if we're going to experience the life of Jesus, we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. We're going to have to learn to slow down and schedule, put put these interruptions in our schedule where we're forced to stop and re-engage with God. And again... If you're anything like me, I know what you're thinking. How in the world do we have time for this? How do you how do you have time for this? And the answer is you don't. You make time for this. Um, listen, I get it, man. There's a lot of demands. I mean I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't dare try to vindicate myself. But I'm everybody's busy. It just looks different. There's type A workaholics, and then there's you know people over here on the lethargy side of things, and there's people over here in the in, the, in between, and like we're all crazy busy. But it's kind, of like a, it's kind of like Chuck Schwinn said a couple of weeks ago to a group of our missional community leaders, and Chuck's a little older than us. That's fair to say. I mean, that's a nice way to say it, right? You've been doing this longer than me. And, and so Chuck looked at us, a group of young leaders, impressionable leaders, and he said, guys, this is not optional. Like, if you're going to survive and thrive in this kind of culture, you've, you've, you've got to learn to slow down and be with Jesus. This is a paradigm shift you have to make. Um, because the reality is, it's not that we're too busy to pray, it's that you're too busy not to pray. You are not too busy to pray. You're too busy not to pray. Because if you don't stop and pray, trust me, the busyness is going to eat your lunch. It's going to destroy your soul. Uh, Martin Luther is famous for this. This is one of my favorite quotes ever. Martin Luther uh, says this, he says, I have so much to do today, that I'm going to need to spend three hours in prayer in order to get it all done. (laughs) Right? I'm going to have to spend three hours this morning praying because i got so much to do today. That's a paradigm shift we've got to make, fellowship. That's what we've got to do. Because what Martin Luther realized is Jesus meant it when he said, if you want to get stuff done, you better learn how to abide in me. Because if you don't abide in me, you're not going to produce anything but sin and idolatry in your life. That's all you're going to produce. You've got to learn how to be with me if you want to be truly productive. And if not, Martin Luther says the demands, the being pulled in a thousand directions, your phone, Netflix, all the stuff that's screaming and the images that are bombarding you and all the people that need you and all this kind of stuff, you're going to lose your soul. Luther says you're too busy not to pray. The cares of this world will choke out your faith. I've seen it happen. It almost happened to me. Don't let it happen to you. And if you want one more, one more illustration of kind of what this looks like, you see a beautiful one in the life of Daniel. And uh, let me just kind of say this story and then I'll move into some practical things and we'll close. But um, if you're unfamiliar with the story of Daniel and the lion's den, it's one of the more famous ones. It comes from Daniel chapter six. And what you see with Daniel is he's just a dude like us. And He's, a, he's an Israelite who trusts, his trust is in God, and he finds himself in a culture that is, is pagan and, and allergic to God, and he's, he's in Babylon, exiled there, and then the Persian Empire comes and conquers Babylon, and, and they're this godless pagan place as well, the, you know, the most pagan place on the planet. And, and But for whatever reason, something happens in Daniel chapter 6, and you see uh, Daniel uh, gains favor with King Darius, not to be confused with our own Darius Dunaway. Um, But he, he gains favor with the, with the, with King Darius, and so, um, Darius appoints him over the whole kingdom. So now Daniel is the second most powerful person, wealthy person on the planet next to Darius himself, and these officials become jealous of Daniel. And so they come up with this plan. Hey, they come to the king and they butter him up and they say, oh, King Darius, your majesty, you're so wonderful. In fact, you're so amazing. I think that we should put this document in place that says that if anybody prays to or bows down to or worships anybody else or any other god besides you, we throw them in the lion's den and we kill them. And Darius is all flattered by this. And so he makes it official and he gets this document and he signs it. And he says, that's great. We'll throw anybody in the lion's den that prays to anybody but me. Daniel hears about this document and here's how he responds. I'm going to put this on the screen. Daniel chapter six, verse 10. He says, it says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, okay, he's aware, guys, he's aware of the risk. Okay. He knew the document had been signed. He went straight into his house where he had his windows and his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day, morning, noon, and night. And he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And they go to the king and they're like, oh, king, didn't you sign this document? Look at what Daniel's done. And, and, you know, we need to kill him. And then so to maintain his reputation, the king, you know, regretfully says, all right, Throw him in the lion's den. We're going to kill him. Only God meets him there and spares his life for His glory. Here's the question: what, what is it that got Daniel thrown into the lion's den? It was fixed hour prayer. You know, it's, did God did God command him to do this? Does God say you have to do this? No, there's no there's no command in Scripture that says you have to do this. But Daniel obviously thought it was important to survive in a pagan culture. I mean, think about it, guys. He's the, he's the second most wealthiest person in the world, and rather than, he would rather lose his life and forfeit his wealth and his power than to stop practicing fixed-hour prayer. Because Daniel understands that in the corrosive, idolatrous soil of ancient Babylon, he's never going to make it if he doesn't arrange his life around abiding in the presence of God. If it was true for Daniel, it's true for you. It's true for me. In Paragold, Arkansas in 2017, in a corrosive, empty, religious, self-helpism, American dream culture, listen, you'll never make it. I'll never make it if I don't learn to, uh, in repentance, arrange my life around abiding in Jesus. So we're going to practice this together we 're going to try this on, okay, and remember it 's about practice, not performance, and it 's about practice and so anytime you practice when I first started learning how to play guitar, I quit for two years because I just couldn 't figure it out, and then I picked it back up in the tenth grade it, it It takes practice, right, and eventually this will become a way of life um, we 're going to practice this, and so here's here 's your practice for the week we're going to we're, what we 're encouraging you to do is to stop two times, three times, whatever you want to do just Pause throughout your day and, and, and reset your heart and your mind on God. Maybe you have two minutes. Maybe you have an hour. Just start where you're at, okay? Just start where you're at. And so there are four key elements you're going to have to do, and you're going to work through these in your missional community, four key elements you're going to have to do in order to put this in place. Number one, you've got to schedule it. Put, this, put on your schedule the times throughout your day when you want to stop for however long you want to stop and just reconnect with God. Just acknowledge that He's there. And just be there with him for a minute. Um, this looks Everybody's schedule is different. It's going to look different for everybody. The point is, find a rhythm that works for you. And generally, sometime morning, midday, and evening works pretty well. The point is, though, if you don't schedule it, it's probably not going to happen. And so, um, by the way, this is going to require you to probably cut some things out of your schedule rather than cram this into your schedule. So I love Brother Lawrence. He's got a helpful question for us when you're trying to think about, what should I cut out of my schedule? Here's what he says. The most helpful, uh, important thing about practicing the presence of God is renouncing once and for all whatever does does not lead to God. So what are the practices in your life that doesn't lead to a life with God? And probably the easiest one to pick on is your phone, uh, because the average person touches it 2,617 times a day, and the average person spends 13 hours a week on the internet. That does not include time spent on Netflix, YouTube, and Hulu. Um, So... Listen, rearrange that. I mean, in repentance, rearrange it. And what will begin to happen is God will begin to invade your your conscious and and shape your reality. Uh, Number two. So number one, schedule it. Number two, you're going to need some silence and solitude. Slip away for a minute. Maybe you've got a room you can go to, uh, a break room, step outside, go for a walk, go for a drive. The point is you just want to kind of get somewhere just for a minute, guys, where you can let the silence kind of wash over you. Um, number three, you're going to want to center or recenter your heart and mind on Jesus. That's really the point. So if you're like me and you've got monkey brain and it's bouncing around all over the place to all these different things, that's okay. God's not mad at you for that. You're human. He understands that all you got to do to recenter when you get alone is just take a few deep breaths. All right. And just kind of, you can pray these breath prayers like, God, you're here. Help me be here. Like you're with me. Help me be with you for just a minute. And just that's what it means to kind of truly live a Christ-centered life. You're just recentering yourself on Jesus. Finally, uh, in in at least one of your scheduled stops, you want to spend some time with God in Scripture. Maybe you read a psalm. Maybe you read a passage from the New Testament. Whatever. But you know what's amazing about the Bible? Anytime you open it and read it, you're literally engaging in a conversation with God. Because you're hearing Him speak. His voice is shaping you and speaking to you and it's getting caught in your heart and it's shaping your reality. And so, you know, in one of these times you want to stop and you want to read some scripture. So, guys, schedule it. You need some silence and solitude. You want to try to center or recenter, and you want to engage in the scriptures. Is this about legalism? No. This is how you get in on life. This is not about legalism, guys. This is about life. My rhythm is so imperfect. Sometimes I skip it. Sometimes I don't practice it. I usually feel off when I do. But hey, man, that's fine. Like There's grace for that, and I'm going to keep on practicing. I'm going to keep on practicing. And to close, I I just want to remind us why this even matters. This is God's will for your life. You were created for relationship with God, to be in constant connection, closeness, and communion with God. And beneath our scheduling and our structure problems is a sin problem. Sin has disconnected us from God. We have all bought into the lie that we can do life without God, that money can do what God can do, that my own time, talents, and treasures can do what God can do. And so we've just bought into this functionally atheistic life and this way of being, and that sin has disconnected us from God. And we were created to be with Him. What's amazing is that He wants to be with you. And He wants to be with you so much so that He has stopped at nothing to bring you home to Himself. God has, in the person of Jesus, put on flesh and He has literally pursued you to bring you into His presence where there is the fullness of joy. The cross proves to you that He loves you. Talk is cheap. He didn't just say He loved you, but He literally fleshed it out in Jesus. And He has come and, and, and removed the greatest barrier of all, which is our sinful mistrust of God so that he can bring you into communion with himself. And that's what we celebrate every week at this table. This meal to the ancient church has had many different names. One of them is the Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving, which we're, that's, that's, this, that's this week, right? Another one of these names for this meal is communion. Because what the broken body and shed blood of Jesus has accomplished for us is not just to like justify you and declare you right or forgive you just for the sake of it but it's all serving relationship god has brought you into he's cleansed you so that he can bring you into relationship with himself so that you can be with him and he can be with you